I went to preach at a church fellowship a short time ago. Uh, never been there before. Uh, so when I walked in, there was a lot of new faces looking at me, and I was looking at a lot of new faces. I was getting introduced by the, uh, the minister there to different people. I was introduced to this one, uh, one young lady, and she said, Oh, you're the preacher for the night, are you? I said, Yes, I am. She said, uh, I hope you've got a pathetic word for me. I said, no trouble. I'm good at preaching pathetic words. I hope, I hope she meant, have you got a prophetic word for me? I'm pretty good at doing the pathetic, but I I, I don't want to do the pathetic this morning. I want to do the prophetic. That's why, as a preacher, I I stand in front of uh, fantastic people like you and, and preach the word of God. I do it not for me to be shown or anything like that. I, I, I don't want that. When I preach the word, I preach the word because I want God to have all the glory. And I want God to speak this morning through the word that uh, he has, has, has given to me to give to you. That, that's, that's what I want more than anything else. I want the word of God to reach out to people. And as Mick was saying this morning... To touch people's hearts and minds. Now, there are a lot of people in here this morning. And we're all different. We're all going through different times, different seasons. Things are happening to us in in, in our lives. And I want God to touch you, every single one of you this morning, right at that very point of, of your need, if you like. I want God to move in and... To bring a wholeness and a healing. I, I believe that God's word can do that. And through the word that I'm going to preach in a minute, you'll, you'll, you'll see that, that. That God is able to move into people's hearts and minds and do something. Restoration, you can call it if you like. But God can do that. Just to let you know where I'm going this morning. The uh, title that I've put on the... Uh, the study is closing in with God because I think when you begin to read through James chapter 4 this is what begins what you begin to see you begin to see James encouraging people to close in with God to close in with him so that, 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 that's, that's the title um, and what I'm going to do is um, when I preach first I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to do a study from Verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Then I'm going to go out of James 4 into James 3. Do the last little bit of James 3 about wisdom. Then I'm going to go back and finish off in in James chapter 4. It's been a fantastic um, series that that, that Jonathan's put down, you know. And I've been stunned by some of the stuff that that, that, that actually comes out of this this word. Um, the, the word of God, it, it, it just keeps coming out and, 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 and hitting you. It doesn't slacken in its pace when you, when you read this. Right from verse 1, right through to the end of this thing, this, this, uh, this book, um, it, 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 it just comes out at such a pace at you, you know, and, and, and doesn't slacken. There's no um, preamble into the word. James hits you, boom, straight away. 
I just wonder if any of you have ever thought of taking a walk out of the church up to the, the island at Junction 10, walking down the slip road and facing the oncoming traffic. Of course, you wouldn't do that, would you? Because you're all sensible people. You wouldn't do that because you know, you know that if you were to stand in front of a great 60-ton Arctic sh- coming down at you, you know where you'd end up, flattened on the road. But as I've been reading through James, this is exactly what James does. He, he, likes, he puts you in the fast lane of God's word. And he keeps hitting you left, right and centre. Bang, 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 bang. You know. And you know what happens when you get it? You get hurt. And you get knocked down. And if you look at these, these words, these chapters uh, and these verses, that they hit with such ferocity sometimes... That, that it hurts. James pulls no punches when he, um, when he writes to these people. He pulls no punches because he wants them to realise that God's word is a word that gets in and does damage. Not only does it do damage, this is the best part, God's word actually begins when it's got you down on the floor. It begins to do a miraculous work in your heart and in your soul. And it does a restoration work. So the two sides of God's word. God's word knocks you down. But the best part about his word is this. That he lifts you up. And he begins to turn you into the kind of person that he wants you to be. I put this morning, this this talk, under three headings. The first one is called managing your... Misty moments, right? The second one is walking down wisdom's way. And the third one is seeking out stronghold solutions. Okay, so let's, let's, have, a look at the, uh, let's have a look at the first one, managing your misty moments. This is uh, a study from verse 13 uh, to the end of the chapter. Okay? The scripture says, and it's coming up on the screen, scripture says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Eugene Peterson in the message puts it this way. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. So now you know where you are and where you stand. I I, I read that and I said, Lord Thank you very much. 62 years it's taken me to find out what I am. And all I am is, in two words, a misty moment. That's all I am. Just a misty moment. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? When you think about it. When we look at our lives against the backdrop of eternity, yes, that's what we are. We are misty Moments. We're here one minute, then gone the next. But it's what you do in your misty moment that counts for what you are, who you are, who you become, and what you do for the God that we believe in. I've got a workmate named Mick, and I'll see him first thing in the morning, and I I like to wind him up. I do it every, do it every Monday. 
do it every Monday. And I say to him, Mick, it'll soon be Friday. <laughs> he knows what I mean. What I mean. And he says, I wish it was Friday now. And that's Monday morning. But the thing is, about Fridays, they seem to go, they seem to come ever so quickly, don't they? They seem to come and go with, with such alarming speed these days. We, we went, to, we went to, to bed the other night, the other Thursday night, and Alison said to me, it's Friday again tomorrow, hasn't this week gone quick? You know, there's a proverb that says, time waits for no man. Time is so fast. I, I, I just uh, wonder why time does actually seem to be in a hurry when I'm not. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it just seems to want to get there as quick as possible, and it doesn't bother about people like you and me. Time is a, not a respecter of persons. It makes you wonder though, doesn't it, what you do with your time. Particularly in view of the fact that James calls you a mist that appears and then vanishes. What do I do with my time? It's not difficult to see how people make uh, philosophies from, from this passage of scripture, is it? When you think about it, um, like, uh, well, I'm 20 years old, I don't know how much longer I've got, I'm going to cram as much into my life as I possibly can and blow the consequences. Because I've only got one shot at it, I've only got one, one go at life. Then you hear some people say um, that the doctor's only given them a short while and you think this is life this is what's happening in the time that we've got on this planet so it's what we do with our time while we're here what we do with our misty moments that count for more than anything else there are three, three words in the Greek for time one is horos. It's where we get our word hour from. But I want just, just to sort of deal with two more words. The, the, the one word is chronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S, and, and, and kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. Two words in the Greek. Both have a, an, a, a, something to do with time. time. Um, chronos translates as a period of time, like 1939 till 1945. As you, as you know, that was the period of the Second World War. That is what Kronos is. I'm wearing a, a, a watch this morning, and a lot of you are. You, can, you could call it a chronometer, if you like. It's a measure it, or, or a metre of time. Now, that's what Kronos is. Now, Kairos has to do with time, but in a slightly different way. Kairos means... It, or it can be translated as opportunity or hour. That's how you look at kairos. It's either opportunity or hour. Give you an example. When Jesus walked this earth, his chronology was 33 years. Yeah? But during those years, his kairos was the, oppo- was the opportunities that came to him to minister heal and bring the good news of salvation to, the, to those who listened. He mixed, Jesus did, his chronology 
That's his 33 years. With Kairos. The opportunities that came to him to share God with other people. And that's what I want to try and get across this morning. You and me, all, we've all got chronology. We've all got chronos. We're all living out time. But we've also got kairos to deal with. And that is the opportunities that God gives us to reach out to other people and to touch them and to give them the word of God and to bring healing and to, and to give meaning and purpose to people's lives. Because you'll never have meaning and purpose or a destiny until you realise that you belong to God. That is true meaning and purpose and destiny. Jesus never ever threw up an opportunity in his chronology for Kairos. In John twelve twenty seven, he says this, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Jesus recognised the opportunities that his Father, his Heavenly Father gave him, and he took them. He grasped them. He grasped them. And this is what I'm asking you this morning. This is what the word of God is saying to you this morning. Opportunities, when they come to you, don't kick them to one side or throw them in the bin. Use them as Jesus did. Remember, you've got a a chronology or a chronos, but you've also got a kairos to to deal with. Jesus knew how to manage his time by filling it with constant opportunities to make known the kingdom of the Father. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8, you'll read these words. Again, Jesus is saying, See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Every single one of us today, tomorrow, in the rest of the misty moment that God has given us on this planet, we'll have open doors to walk through. If they're open, go through them. Not for my sake. But God wants you to do that. James points out two alternatives here, you know, about, about, uh, about life, about bragging or boasting about life. Because we can either go, we can go one way or the other. We can either go down the road of uh, pleasing ourselves or we can go down the road of pleasing God. That's what he, 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 uh, James lists out here. Uh, he says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Yeah? Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do it. So James lists out two alternatives here. You can either go your own way in the first couple of verses or you can do it God's way. He lists two but advises only one. If it's the Lord's will, do it. Make the most of the opportunities that come your way. You might not get another one. Secondly, walking down wisdom's way. 
This is just outside of James chapter 4. But as you know, when, the, when these scriptures were written, there were no chapters and verses, really. It was just a great letter all the way, all the way through. These uh, chapters and verses are just to help us to, you know, put them in a kind of package. Um, James says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. That's James 3, verse 13. Again, on the first Sunday of uh, this year, I was preaching at this uh, church one evening. And uh, part of my message was uh, being, op- being to operate in wisdom's ways. Um, I-, I-, I chose to preach that evening on, uh, on, on, on having a vision for God, on uh, being wise in what I do, and also, um, you know, knowing the peace that comes from God to actually... Uh, work my way through these things. So I was preaching on wisdom's ways. And James tells me, at the end of chapter 3, that there are two kinds of wisdom. So I need to be sure, I need to be sure that I am choosing the right one. I need to be sure that I'm choosing the right one. Um, Because it says, who is wise and understanding among you. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Ah, but he says, but if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but earthly and it's unspiritual. And then he goes on to say that there's a different kind of wisdom. So we've got two kinds of wisdom here to actually uh, to think about. We've got worldly wisdom, or we've got the wisdom that comes from heaven. And do we operate? Which one are we going to operate in? Well, I've got a word for worldly wisdom. I've always called it philosophy. Philosophy is from two Greek words. Philio, meaning mankind, and Sophia, meaning wisdom. You put the two together, you get Philosophia, or what our word is, philosophy, which means man's wisdom. But there's something greatly flawed with man's wisdom. There's something not quite right about man's wisdom, as far as I can gather. And it's this. It's filled with mistakes. It's filled with sin. Uh, it's just filled, and as James puts it here, it's evil, and it could be of the devil. That's the kind of philosophy that James here is talking about that we should forget about. But it exists. Did you know that if you were living in Paul's time, you could actually think of your own lifestyle and decide how you wanted to live your own lifestyle... And you, you could actually go to a philosopher and say, this is what I want to do in my life, and this is how I want to lead it. Could you write me a philosophy to actually uh, go along with my lifestyle? And for a few pounds, a philosopher will write that for you, and you say, that's my code for living this life. That's the world's philosophy. But there's another 
philosophy. Uh, that, but, but there's another wisdom to be had. And that is God's wisdom. Um, the first wisdom says this. The worldly wisdom. Such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and it's of the devil. That's three, verse 3.15. But in 3.17 it says this. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, get this, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Two different kinds of wisdom that James puts down that we are all able to operate in. Which one are you operating in now? Which one do you want to operate in? Which one do you think is right to operate in? When I was thinking about this, I had this little picture come in my mind. It was a picture of a road or a way, if you like. That's why, that's why I got the, the, the title, Walking Down Wisdom's Way. And I'm walking down this way, and on the one side, and well, on both sides, we see purity, peace, consideration, submissiveness, mercy, good fruit, sincerity. You know, what, what a lovely road to walk down. Quite in contrast with the other one, isn't it? That's a road of evil. So can I encourage you? Can I encourage myself on my walk, in my misty moments, if you like, to walk down wisdom's way? Lastly, lastly, I've called this last one seeking out stronghold solutions. Because I know that when things can get hold of you, they can become strongholds. Not yet, but in a few moments, we're going to get a, going to get a list up on, the, on the screen of five things that James has written down here that can become strongholds in your life. First of all, the scripture says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Le- um, sorry, next. Sorry, uh, it's what causes fights and quarrels among you. Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Strongholds, things that can get hold of us and make us operate in the way that we know God doesn't want us to operate. A workmate of mine named Adam went, together with his girlfriend, on an organised ghost evening at Telford a couple of weeks ago. I do not advise this as a Christian. I do not advise this as a Christian. Adam came back to work a few days later and he was visibly shaken up by some of the things that happened to him in this ghost evening. It was organised and organised by spiritualists and 
and all those who were messed about with the occult, there were Ouija boards, there was everything going that night. And Adam couldn't finish the whole of the evening. He had to come out because some of the things frightened him. He said he went into a room and there was this big, thick oak door. He says, and as they walked into the room together, this big oak door slammed behind them and he couldn't get it open. That's what happens with a stronghold. You go the other side of the door, the door slams shut on you and you can't get out. That's a stronghold. You can't get out. Adam says, I can, I can, I can work out 10% of the stuff that happened that night. He says, but the other 90%, he says, oh, I just don't know. It, it's got me. It's got me. And I could see through talking to him that, that, that it had made a mark on his life. And I've been praying for him, for him this week. You know, I've been praying that this won't go any farther. Because I know that just a little tempter, a little tempter can mean a lot and get you in a long way. Strongholds, things that get hold of us that we just can't great break the grip of. These are strongholds. Isn't this how strongholds begin though? First with a desire, as it says in James, then an attempt to fulfil that desire. Desires fuel imagination. Imagination unchecked knows no boundaries when seeking to satisfy itself. Imagination can be the creator of the greatest good or the most insidious evil. Lord of the Rings at the very beginning says this, the hearts of men are easily corrupted. Achan, when quizzed by Joshua, said this, I saw them and I coveted them. David lusted after a woman and someone ended up dead. On the screen, in a minute, we're going to see five things that could be stronger. They're not the only five things. There are loads of stuff that can be strongholds in your hearts, in your minds, those that get hold of you. But we're going to see five things that are coming up now, which are listed in James chapter 4. We've got quarrelling. What causes fights and quarrels among you? We never argue here, do we? Nobody ever argues. I had a phone call from my um, sister-in-law just before Christmas. She said, can you have a word with Mick? Mick's my brother. I've uh, got another, another brother named Jeff. Can you, have, can you have a word with Mick? Mick's at his wit's end. Why is that? Because Mick and Jeff actually went into business together a short while ago and they just cannot stop arguing about which way the business is going. Mick wants it to go one way and Jeff wants it to go the other. Arguing. If you start arguing, it can become a stronghold. You can, it, it can get hold of you and you'll argue over anything. Yes, I will, don't you? Yes, I will. Yeah, you just argue over anything because it becomes a stronghold. And, and James lists this because he doesn't like to see it in his church. He doesn't like to see it in his fellowship. That's why he wrote it down. He said, you shouldn't argue. You shouldn't argue. Well, not like they were doing anyway. 
spiritual unfaithfulness. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship in the world is hatred towards God? When you play about with the world, when I play about with the world, I'm being adulterous towards God. You know, J- James don't pull his punches, you know. He just comes straight down, and it's just straight right between the eyes with them. That's what James does. He's, don't you know that you are an adulterous people if you claim to be a Christian and you're still out messing about with the world? There's a scripture in here uh, that says, or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? Now, I've been trying to get at the meaning of that, you know. And I found out that what it really, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unknown scripture uh, or an unsure scripture. And what it means is this. It says, God jealously longs for the spirit he made to live in us and nothing else. That, that's how it translates. That God jealously longs for the spirit he made to live in us. So you've got quarrelling. You've got spiritual unfaithfulness. You've got slander as well. Or, as Eugene Peterson puts it, uh, bad-mouthing your Christian brother and sister. Bad-mouthing your Christian brother. as calling uh, whoever a so-and-so. Bad-mouthing them. Talking about them. Telling people that I didn't like this about them because they did so-and-so. You, you, you begin to see the message here with, with what James is trying to get across. With these... Strongholds, quarrelling, unfaithfulness, slander, there's this pride. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Matthew twenty three twelve says this for whoever exalts himself or lifts himself up, either than he should, will be humbled by God. And whoever humbles himself knows his position will be exalted. And boasting, and boasting as well. Paul, uh, James says this, as it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. All these things can become strongholds. All these things can become strongholds. Now, can I ask you again a question? Do you recognise any of these things going on in your life? This is where it hurts, you see. This is where the word of God hurts, because you, you sometimes step back and you say... Quarrelling. That's me. Spiritual unfaithfulness. Some of that in me. Pride. There's a lot of that in me. Slander. I do that a bit. Boasting. I'm pretty good at boasting. You know, these things come up. Do you recognise any of these in your life? Are they happening in mine? If so, can they be dealt with effectively? They can to quote a very famous president of the United States. They can be dealt with effectively because that's why I've called it dealing with stronghold solutions. God can deal with whatever it is that's happening in your life right now. Last one. Submit yourselves, yeah, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. 
Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. God, James, lists these things. Not to shock us, but to say these are the very things that will help us to get right back on track with God himself. Submit yourself. Give in. Stop struggling. Just rest in God. Resist the devil. Resist him. Tell him he's not welcome in, in your life at all. And the scripture says, and he'll, he'll flee. When you get tempted by anything, if you, if you resist him straight away, he'll go. Try it. It works. I like this one because this is why I've called it closing in with God. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Um, Again, in the message it says this, quit dabbling in sin and purify your inner life. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. Do you know, there's a lot more in that passage of scripture that we, we can't get out because we ain't got any more time to do it. But I believe that that word that God has given me to share with you this morning is a word that can, if you accept it and ask it to begin to live in your life, God will do something in your life and make you more of the person that you are now. I'm not, not saying that you're not anybody. I'm not saying that. But he will make you more of the person than you are now. Our time on this planet is brief. Scripture tells us that much. Let's choose to live wisely using godly wisdom. And let the strongholds in your life be of a godly nature. Let's pray. Father, I, I want to thank you for this word. And, uh, when, when, when I read it and when I first began to put it together, I thought, Lord, there's, there's some tough stuff in here. And, and, and yet we read... Um, how James put it, and he wasn't afraid of writing down the tough stuff. Uh, Lord, help us not be afraid to accept the tough stuff and begin to realise what you want for our lives is for us to be more like you. So we thank you for James and his scriptures. I thank you for every single person here in this building this morning, Lord. And I just pray that your word, whichever part of it, will begin to get a stronghold in their life so that they can be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.